Well, it's great to have you here if this is your first time here. Thanks for joining us. We're in a series that, just so you know, I've kind of made uh, the decision, and I, I think the Lord's okay with it. Um, I was going to try and be done with this series before I go on vacation in June, um, but there's just no way. And because I really need two weeks for every message, every chapter of the book. Um, and I don't want to rush through everything, and it's just been such a sweet journey, and I'm already cramming so much in your face that it, imagine if I just crammed two weeks into one, okay? This week, we're going to transition from answering the question. Remember, every chapter of Friend of God, and that's the title of our series that we're in, is going to answer a question, and question number one that we answered was, does God even want friends? Does he actually even want friends? And Hopefully, he made a pretty good case using his word that he doesn't just want friends. He wants you to be his friend. And he doesn't want you just to be his friend. He wants you to be his best friend. Just try and wrap your mind around that for a moment, would you? That the God who has everything has something that he wants. He wants to be best friends with a guy wearing an eagle's cap. Yeah, yeah. And just think about that, though. The God of the universe has everything, and yet there's something that he wants. He wants to be best friends. So we answered the question, does God want friends? Uh, and if we could get the timer uh, for me, just so I'm, I'm a little bit groggy, so we're not here till midnight tonight. Uh, this week, we're going to start part one, answering the question, what kind of friend is God? Now, later in the series, I'm going to answer the question, what kind of friend is God to me? Because I'm going to have to personalize this for you. All right? But first, I want to answer the question, and then we're going to go into what is God like, because that's the most important question, theologically, you will ever answer. What is God like? What you believe about what God is like determines so much about your life. And then we're going to go through some of God's best friends in Scripture, four in the Old Testament, four in the New Testament. And then we're going to start talking about you as his friend. But this weekend, we're, we're going to answer the question with two points, the first, of, first two of four. What kind of friend is God? I'm going to go ahead and give you the four points uh, so that you can kind of understand. I'm going to stretch some of you. Like I'm, going to, I'm not intentionally trying to push on you, I promise. I'm not trying to be a shock jock. But you got to understand, just the way God wired me, I come from a little bit of a different slant than, than a lot of other people. And so do you. We're uniquely different, all right? So just hear my heart. I'm not trying to be a shock jock. This is just the way I heard it from the Lord, all right? Here, the four ways I'm going to describe God, what kind of friend God is. First, God's a talker. Second, God's a lover. Going to really stretch you. Third, God's a stalker. If point two didn't stretch you, point three is definitely going to stretch you. And then point four, God's a giver. He gives of himself. So today we're going to spend some time talking about the first two. He's a talker and he's a lover. Let me give you a couple of things as I describe what kind of talker God is. Communication is a relational necessity. So you hear in this church and you've heard, especially during and, and after presbytery, but even before, our God is the God who speaks. But, but don't just settle for that. 
Like that's just so elementary, theologically. Dig deeper into the why is he the God that speaks. And so I'm gonna describe what kind of a talker is he, all right? Here's the first subpoint in answering this question, what kind of talker is God? He's a chatty Kathy. This is different, huh? Never heard that before, have you? Person, book, chapter, and verse, where is that? Well, it doesn't literally say that, but I'm going to show you some passages where God most certainly makes it clear he's the God who speaks. Why is it a big deal, though, to understand that God is a chatty Kathy communicator? Here's why. Because you'll rarely ever talk to someone you don't think wants to talk. Think about it like this. If you went to a party, there's lots of parties in town this weekend. Let's just pretend you were going to one of these parties down the street here where all the cards are behind my office. And you don't, you don't know anybody at these parties. You walk into a party. Everybody's talking to somebody except two people. There are two people in the entire party that aren't speaking to anyone. One of them has a really kind of happy demeanor. You know, they're, they're kind of... You know, talking to the music, hey, 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 you know. Then the other person that's not talking to anybody else has this really forlorn, like, furrowed brow, just gritted teeth. You can't talk with your teeth gritted. They just have that vibe. Okay, question. Which of the two are you more likely to go speak to? Person number one or person number two? Person number one. That's right. Here's the problem. Too many people actually kind of have an an image of God that that's the way he is when I want to go talk to him. Yet scripture says I can boldly go into his presence to talk anytime I want to. So why do we craft this image in our minds that he is the God who never wants to talk even though he's the God who always speaks? If you don't think God wants to talk to you, odds are You won't talk to him. Here's one of the bigger reasons why I think many believers don't think God wants to speak to them. They have this thought. Why would someone like that ever want to speak to someone like this? Jesus shuts this down in John 15. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John 15. I'm going to kind of hop all over the place scripturally. John 15, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, verse 15. I'm just going to jump to one verse. Jesus says, I no no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, speaking to his disciples. Since I have told you, watch, you're my friends. Here's how you know, because I've told you everything the Father told me. Think about this word, everything. Like we think about Jesus in these snippets, almost as though they were like, reels or shorts online the most famous message of all time lasted a long time jesus was a talker he loved to talk why because communication is a relational necessity our god is the god who speaks for this very reason and he says listen here's one of the ways you know you're my friend i tell you what the father has told me But he doesn't just say some of the stuff. He says everything. Think how long it would take to communicate everything the Father has told the Son. 
Look in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 12 of John. Jesus goes further and he says, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. Okay, so you see, I can't handle everything he wants to say, but you also see his heart is, I, I want to tell you so much more. Okay, how can he be the silent God when he talks like that? How can he be the God that rarely wants to talk when he goes on record and says, I want to tell you so much more, you just can't handle it all right now. He's a talker. I don't, I don't want to go too far with this, but I don't think it's incorrect to say God kind of has diarrhea of the mouth. That's the way we described it growing up. You know, I know it's kind of gross, but that's what we would say. Somebody who just wouldn't stop talking. Okay, if I had to choose as your pastor which image you had of God, the forlorn, furled brow, gritted teeth, not saying a word, or the... I want this one. I want you to have this one. Forget that one. I don't think that's true. This is true. He always wants to talk. Now, here's one of the things. My wife is the person I am relationally, the human I am the closest to relationally. Here's one of the ways I know. Fairly frequently, I find myself in some pretty wild conversations. Some of them I talk to you about. Some of them I don't. Some of those that I don't talk to you about, I talk to some of the staff about. But there are still some conversations I don't tell the staff. Some of those conversations I tell the elders. My wife is the person on the earth who knows the most about all the conversations that I have had. Why? Because we're the closest. Hey, this is what Jesus is saying. The closer you are, the more you're going to know about what we talk about. Well, Preston, I don't know if I hear God's voice. The closer I am to his heart, the more he is going to communicate what they talk about. This is one of the things that's so amazing about Jesus wanting to be close to us. It's to tell us things he doesn't want to tell anyone else. They're called secrets. Well, Preston, how do I get God to tell me secrets? Okay, I'm going to give you a formula. But before I give you the formula, I do want to tell you, most of the time I try and make things a little bit easier for you to digest, all right? There is a scriptural formula for you to get God to tell you secrets, but it's extremely complicated. So we're going to spend about the next 50 minutes of your life talking about this formula. 50 minutes. I'm being sarcastic. Some of you are like, is he being for real? No. No. Let me show you the formula for getting God to tell you secrets. Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3. This is what the Lord God says. The Lord who made the earth, who formed and established it, whose name is the Lord. This is what he says. Ask me! And I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. God is so complicated. Is he though? 
I, I know he's unsearchable. His ways are unsearchable. He's unfathomable. But is he complicated? No. Preston, ask me. You, you want to know secrets? Ask me. If you ever take for granted the fact that the God of the universe not only speaks to you, but desires to speak to you, you've already taken the first step to not hearing him clearly. Here's the second way I would describe God as a talker. God is a creative communicator. He's not just a chatty Cathy, he's a creative communicator. Creative communicators are, are fun and easy to listen to. Jesus used parables many times while he was ministering in the flesh on the earth. But God isn't just that kind of creative communicator solely. Because there are many creative communicators on the earth today. So here's how God decided to distinguish himself from all the other creative communicators on the earth. God is the only creating communicator. He's not a creative communicator. He's the only creating communicator. Think about it. God starts scripture showing off what can happen every time he opens his mouth. Why? It isn't just to show that he is the God who speaks. It's to show what can happen every time he speaks. God wants to be known by you as the God who speaks to you. But the church has lost the posture of prizing the voice of our speaking God. Yet the Bible begins in the very beginning laying the foundation that not only does our God speak, but that when he speaks, unfathomable things can happen. He literally created the entire universe with just a few of his words, less than a paragraph. You're going to have to help me understand why he starts the book creating everything that is with less than a paragraph. You're going to have to help me understand why there would ever be a moment at any moment in your life where the God of the universe would say to you, hey, I'd like to talk for a minute. And you go, ah, not a good time. She gets it. <laughs> it hit her. Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light. What happened? There was light. Sarah, I'd really like to talk to you. Yeah, God, let me check my calendar and see when we can talk. You don't know if this is going to be one of those moments where he speaks something and it just happens. Let, let me say it like this. Nothing never happens when God says something. When God says something, something always happens. Show it to you in scripture, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay in the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. Preston, I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish everything I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. 
How do you know that you prize God's voice? I believe this to be the answer. That anytime he starts speaking to you, you stop everything else. I, I, I know, I'm, and I'm not trying to be that guy. I am not a qualified enough communicator to speak on his behalf where you could catch everything. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're hearing in your heart. Every time God speaks to you, the same thing that happened at creation could happen in that moment between the two of you. This is why I try and push you constantly to spend time alone with him. Yes, we can talk in the car when I go on long rides. Yes, all of that can be true. But I'm telling you, there's something significant when you find a place in your world where there's only one thing you do, that's commune with the God of the universe. Press in to his heart to hear his words. I'm telling you, why wouldn't I? Not as a senior pastor. I don't have a prayer room because I'm a senior pastor. I have a prayer room because I'm Preston. I want a space where anything can happen. That's the space where he most consistently speaks to me. Let there be light. And there was. Yet so many of us, when God says, I'd love to chat. We don't drop everything. I remember years ago, I was telling the Lord, I've told you this story before. I was, I was driving in my truck down Davis in North Richland Hills, Texas, and, and I said, Lord, every time Robert opens his mouth in the pulpit, I hear him say something I've never heard anybody else say. God, would you give me that gift as well? And I felt the Lord just chuckle. And he goes, Preston, why would I give you any new revelation when you've lost all of the old revelation? Here's what he was saying. You don't prize my voice. You know what I did? I pulled over my truck immediately into a car wash, pulled into a spot, opened up my deal, grabbed a napkin and a pen and said, if you want to talk, I promise you will never say that to me again. You will never say that I don't take your voice seriously. And I haven't been flawless, but I got a lot of notes since then of things that he said. Why would I prize his word so much? Because he made it a point to start his word by showing me what can happen when words come out of his mouth. The fastest way to lose his voice is not to prize his voice. And one of the best ways to prize his voice is to remember what happened the first time we see him use his voice. He spoke it and it was. Okay, here's the third thing. I want you to see about God as a talker. God is an attentive conversationist. Let's talk about God, not just as a talker, but as a listening talker. No human will ever have one single thing to say, which is one one trillionth as important as the least important single syllable which comes out of God's mouth. This is why I think scripture says in Ecclesiastes 5.1, when you come into the house of the Lord, shut your mouth and open your ears. That's what it says. Because there's not one word I will ever speak. The most important word that ever comes out of my mouth 
will not even be one one trillionth as important as the least important syllable that ever comes out of God's mouth. This is to remind us that there's nothing we will say which will ever rival something God can say. And yet, he loves to listen. How in the world is it possible to have a God who speaks such important things, yet makes such a priority to listen when we speak? Simple. That's just what love does. Love loves to yield the floor to the one they love. Think about this. Jesus has asked 183 questions in Scripture, and yet he only answers three of them. But Jesus asks 307 questions recorded in Scripture. Now, think about this. Psalm 139 verse 4 says that he knows what we're going to say before we even say it. So if he knows what we're going to say before we even say it, why does he even ask us a question? It's really simple. He's not looking for the answer. He's wanting to listen to us talk. He loves to hear us speak. You ask a question because you want to hear the person whom you're asking the question. You want to hear him speak. God loves to speak, but I'm convinced he loves to hear you speak even more than he loves to speak. David in Psalm 18 verse 6 says, In my distress I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry, he personalizes it. it. He says, my cry to him reached his ears. Okay, I need to make sure you understand the difference between hearing and listening. There's a huge difference. Let me try and define the two. Hearing is the act of receiving sound in your ear. But listening is hearing a sound and understanding what you're hearing. Okay, well then what's a good listener? Ever heard that term? So-and-so is just a good listener. What makes a good listener? Not just a listener. A good listener is someone who hears a sound, understands what they're hearing, and responds appropriately to what they heard. God doesn't just love to speak. God loves when you speak. He loves to listen. But he doesn't just love to listen. He also loves to speak in response to what you spoke. In scripture, it's called an answer. Psalm 4 verse 3, you can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. He will answer. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 65 verse 24. I will answer them before they even call to me. Well, it sounds like he's, he's cutting me off. No, watch what he says next. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. Yes, our God is the God who speaks, but he's also the God who loves it when we speak to him, when we speak with him. And one of the reasons he loves it when we speak is because he loves to speak in response to what we spoke. So he loves to speak, he loves it when I speak, and he loves to speak in response to what I spoke. It's just awesome. 
There, there have been funny moments in our relationship over the years, and I didn't catch on until several years ago. I started to, to see a little bit of a pattern. I would have these moments where I would feel like the Lord would start a conversation and say, Preston, there's a question you have never asked me before. And then he would give me the question, and he would teach me something about himself that I, that I hadn't seen before. So when this happened, I knew, I knew it was coming. And he goes, Preston, there's a question you've never asked me before. You've never asked me why I never slumber nor sleep. Well, I've learned the rhythm. I've learned what he's looking for in these moments. I said, okay, Lord, why do you never slumber nor sleep? And he gets that sweet tone in his voice, and he goes, Preston, do you remember when you were younger, when you were a kid, and you'd go over to your friend's house? Do you remember what you were like? We kind of had a little bit of a laugh. You know how you think you're cooler than you were, but you really weren't as cool as you thought? It was kind of one of those moments. I'm trying to make it sound like I was some amazing thing, and then he shows me a picture, and I'm like, oh, that's right, I, I remember now. He's like, Preston, you'd go over to your friend's house. Do you remember what you would do? So many times, you would keep your friend up half the night talking to them. And I kind of chuckled. I was like, yeah. And then he said, do you remember when you got married? Remember how many nights those first two years? You and Holly would lay in bed and you'd just talk and talk and talk. And she'd fall asleep every time. And we kind of chuckled. I said, yeah. He said, Preston, let me tell you one of my reasons why I never slumber nor sleep. Because I love to hear you speak. And I refuse to be the one who falls asleep at 3.14 in the morning while you're talking out of your heart. I refuse to miss one syllable that will ever come out of your mouth. That's how much I love to hear you speak. And Preston, that is why I am up wide awake every night, all night, just in case you want to talk to me. And I just sobbed. I don't get it. You know how many other things he has to do? You know how much more important things all over the earth are than, than me just talking at 2 o'clock in the morning, laying in bed out of my heart? And yet, he's so loving that he says, yes, I'm the God who speaks, but I'm also the God who loves it when you speak. And that's one of the reasons why I don't go to sleep. and I'll never be that friend that falls asleep while you're talking. That might not hit you, but man, it hit me. Let's get to point number two. God's a talker, point number one. What type of friend is God? He's also a lover. This word lover, I get it. For some of you, it stretches you. It's typically 
a word used to speak of someone in a sexual relationship with someone else. But that isn't the only meaning for the term lover. In fact, I don't even think it's the most important one. Can we just have a real moment? Can we pause for a second? Okay, just time out. Okay, pretend like, well, I'll go right back to it. You don't want to know what I'm about to tell you, but this is just how I roll, okay? Uh, as you get older, uh, most of the men probably know this, but uh, there, there are parts of the human body that continue to grow, and some of them grow more and more. Like they say, your ears grow, your nose grows. You know one of the things that grows uh, wildly as you get older? Nose hairs. And if you've been noticing that I've been sniffling a lot, it's not because I'm sick the last month. It's because I shave my nose hairs and there's nothing when I look down and it just floods out. And you're like, Preston, why are you telling us? So that you'll never be too impressed, okay? So like then, if stuff starts running down my face, just go, yeah, he, it's okay. He has a forest in his nose. Okay, let's get back to God. I just want to deflect, because some of you are like, God is a lover? <laughs> I lost some of you. It's okay. <laughs> this stupid thing is so low. My, my face goes down, and anytime I read, my nose just runs like crazy. So I'm just going to read like this. I'm going to put it up there. Okay. I don't think the most important term for lover is the term that means one in a sexual relationship with another. I think there's a far more important Here's how I would define the most important term for lover, the best way to describe it. One who is in love, who loves to love, and loves to be loved. That's a lover. And this, to me, quite accurately describes our God. Think about it. The most famous verse in the Bible describes God as what? A lover. For God so what? Loved the world. He's a lover. But that, it's not just that famous verse. Go to the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 6. God says, but I lavish. Now we're going to read verses 4 and 5 in, in just a second in the next subpoint. God says, I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. God's describing himself as a lover. How much does he love? Extravagantly, he lavishes unfailing love for a thousand generations. He's a lover. He even describes himself as such. So, what kind of lover is he? Okay, if, I've already, if I'm already stretching you with this term lover, it's going to get even worse right now. God is a jealous lover. Now, some of you are going back to your junior high and high school days. But that, that's, it's not the same thing. I'm going to help you understand it. Because I think some of you, the theologians among us, are probably thinking, whoa, whoa. Now, see, Preston, here's where you're wrong and I'm right. Galatians 5 says jealousy is a sin. So God cannot be jealous. Otherwise, he would be sinning. How about that, Preston? Different type of jealousy. The type of jealousy that is a sin is the jealousy that wants something that isn't theirs. Godly jealousy is wanting something 
that is his. Totally different kind of jealousy. Let me show it to you. Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. I read you verse 6. One of the commandments, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Why? Is the hidden question here. He answers, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And I love the way that NLT translates this next part. I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He's jealous. He does not want me to give anything or anyone else something that is his and his alone. And when I do, he gets jealous. And it's not that kind of insecure jealousy that's like, how come you're talking to that guy? Okay, that's not, that's not the kind of jealousy we're talking about. It's the, Preston, why, why would you spend so much time doing that at the expense of time with me? Like, I love a little bit of that for you, but you just spent six hours doing that. When 60 minutes probably should have been the max. Preston, you gave it something that belonged to me. We were going to have our time. And now you and that thing had y'all's time. God's a Texan. <laughs> Different kind of jealousy. But make no mistake, God's a jealous God. The best kind of jealousy. How romantic is it that he says in the Ten Commandments, like, don't just put the laws on the wall. Dig deeper into the why. Why should I not? Why can I not have other gods before me? Because he's the intimate God who says, Preston, I don't want to share you with anyone. We're going to go further into this. Jesus makes a really strong statement at one point. He says, by comparison, you better hate the rest of your family compared to the way you love me. And we'll get to that. But he'll like that part. But part of the reason why. He knows what belongs to him. And when I give something that belongs to him, worship, when I give my worship to somebody else or something else, don't get it twisted. He's going to check me. And it's because he loves me more than I can understand. Preston, I won't tolerate you giving your affection when it belongs to me. That's romantic. That's not angry. That's affectionate. Just in case you're, you're not quite catching it, Paul helps us understand in 2 Corinthians 11 too that this is a totally different jealousy because he says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Paul is saying, I get it. I'm, I'm the one that was used by him to write it. This is a different kind of jealousy. I want you the way he wants you. I want you for him, essentially is what Paul's saying. 
the way he wants you for himself. That's godly jealousy, okay? So what kind of lover is God? He's a jealous lover. Next, he's a powerful lover. This was another one of those moments where I felt the Lord say, Preston, there's a question you've never asked me before. You've never asked me why I have all power in heaven and on earth. I said, Lord, why do you have all power in heaven and on earth? This was what I felt like he responded with. Preston, if I am not unstoppable, that means someone can stop me. And if they can stop me, it means they can stop me from doing something I might want to do. And one of the things I love to do is love on you. And one of the reasons I have all power is because my love for you is so strong, I refuse to allow anyone to stop me from loving on you. And so I have all power. How does Paul say it in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39? I'm convinced that nothing, he got a revelation, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, no thing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for you is so strong that he has all power in heaven and on earth in order to ensure absolutely no thing and no one ever stops him from loving you. Don't just hear that he has all power. Dig for the romantic why. Preston, someone could come between you and one of your children. If they're stronger than you, they can overpower you. Even if you so badly want to go love on Tyler, if someone got in your way that is exponentially more powerful than you and they wanted to, they could stop you. Well, buddy, listen up closely. One of my favorite reasons why I have all power in heaven and on earth is because nothing is going to stop me from loving on you. But how many of us just, we hear it in Sunday school, God has all power in heaven and on earth. And we sterilize it. We forget that he's so powerful that he can just speak. And it happens. We sterilize it in such a way that we forget his romantic why. One of his romantic why is for having all power. There will never be a moment where anything or anyone can ever stop him from loving on you. That's part of his why. He is a powerful lover. This next one might throw you just a little bit. He's a disciplining lover. Let me help you understand why this is, I think it's important for us to talk about. There's a bit of a mistaken line of logic as it relates to describing someone as a great lover. Ever heard that term? Is here people, man, they're just a great lover. You might especially hear it from people out in the world. You might hear this from spouses, but 
hear it more, oh, so-and-so is my favorite lover. They're a great lover. I think this is a mistaken line of logic. Usually, when someone uses that term, what they're really saying is, this person knows how to give me exactly what I want, exactly the way I want it, exactly when I want it. Understand something, though. This is not how God loves. In fact, the only way God would ever give you what you want every time you want it exactly the way you want it is if he hated you. Facts. There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads where? The heart is what? Desperately wicked. Deceitful. There are things my heart tells me that I want. It tells me that I want it just like this, just at this time. And scripture says, Preston, your heart's not always right. But the fastest way I can take you out is give you what you want, the way you want it, exactly when you want it. You're wrong more than you're right. And that's why I'm a disciplining lover. Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20. God says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. <laughs> Do you hear what he's saying? I don't want to spank you. Preston, if you'll just turn, the discipline comes to an end. Don't be indifferent. Don't act like I am not disciplining you. Turn. But he goes even further. Listen how, how relational this is. Look. I stand at the door and knock. Pursue. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as what? Friends, yet how many of us so misunderstand the, the discipline of God that it separates us a little bit from him? It negatively impacts our relationship because we think when he disciplines, he's mad. No, no, no. He disciplines because he's madly in love. That's why he disciplines you. He says it. I discipline everyone I love. Some of us don't feel the love of God because we refuse the discipline of God. Essentially, what many of us want from God as father is an enabling parent who co-signs everything we want and everything we want to do. God says, Preston, I love you too much to let you have that. And so I'm a lover, but I'm a disciplining. I'm a disciplinarian, but I'm a lover. But I discipline you because of my love for you. Here's the last thing. Probably my favorite passage in the entire Bible. I think it's the, in my opinion, I don't want to be hyperbolic. It's got to be one of the most romantic passages in scripture. What kind of lover is he? He's a sacrificial lover. John 15, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Incidentally, you know that's why so many people leave the church, right? You know that, right? It's not because pastors aren't perfect, because pastors fall, all that stuff. No, no, that, that might be the reason they give, but that's not the actual why. I just read you the real why people leave church. I don't just mean leave a church, I mean leave the church. Because Jesus said, this is my commandment. Love the imperfect ones. 
the way I've loved you. Jesus, how did you love me? I did the excruciating thing. I died. See, most of us humans run relationally when things get hard. But Jesus says, here's my commandment. Love them the way I love you. And then he tells us, so that there's no guessing, no misunderstanding. Verse 13, one of my favorite verses, there is no greater love. Greater love hath no man, that's the way I memorized it, than to lay his life down for his friends. Here's the way I would say it. I imagine hearing Jesus trying to make sure I get the point in this manner. Preston, I have access to every word in every language that has ever been, that is, or ever will be. And I'm trying to put together a compilation of my favorite words from any of those languages that best describes to you my love for you. I keep coming up with all these different ways to tell you how much I love you, but words, Preston, just don't seem to do my love for you justice. But I'm no quitter. I got it. Greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friends. I'll die for you, Preston. I will lay my life down for you. My wife loves me in a way I don't know that anybody else on the earth loves me. But she's never done that. I love her. I try and love her more than anybody else on the earth loves her. But I've never done that. It's kind of like Valentine's Day, and since Valentine's Day is coming up this next week, sometimes I get a little sad that we make one day out of 365 the day of love for the ones we love. And this might sound weird to you, but sometimes I feel that way about Easter. I think every Friday should be Good Friday. I don't ever want to get over. I mean, I know when you tell me you love me that you love me. But there's someone in my life that looked in my direction and said, yeah, a lot of people are going to use words to show you their love. But not me. I'm going to go above them all. I'm going to die. And one of my fears in the church is that we hear about the crucifixion and his romantic why behind it so many times that it's like, yeah, Preston, I've heard it. How tragic. He's a lover. And the way he proved it was even if you would have been the only one, he still would have died for you. 
I don't want any Friday to be a normal Friday. I want the weight of Good Friday to hit me every Friday and every Saturday and every Sunday. He did what no one else would for me. What kind of friend is our God? The one who would give up everything to have a shot at spending forever with you.